bring in uh, Lauren Mathias uh, with us as a journalist and host of the Hidden True Crime. Uh, Lauren, can you give us an idea of what's going on in that courtroom that right now? It sounds to me like it, it's the lawyers trying to justify to the judge the plea agreement so that the judge accepts the plea and goes forward with sentencing. What's your thoughts? You know, it was interesting to hear that Cat uh, is there as well as Kevin and that Kevin is crying. I think that what they're, you know, what we're going to learn today is, uh, is it going to be consecutive? And I think that that's what everybody is waiting with bated breath and wanting to know. And it sounds like we're going to find out. Let's see. Hidden, a true crime podcast. A forensic psychologist and a journalist explore the hidden motives behind unthinkable crimes while examining our deepest fears along the way. Yeah, well, Lauren, Hidden True Crime podcast, Hidden True Crime, let's talk about that issue because, you know, a lot of the cases that I've handled as a prosecutor, they weren't really hidden. They were, they came right out and were right in front of you, murder cases, things of that nature. This was something where a crime was literally lying in wait. It was being hidden from the public under the veneer of these individuals who were telling people what to do to raise their children, you know, properly. And yet the level of abuse that we find out was going on here was quite amazing that while there were kind of like signs and people kind of complaining about it, that this was not found out earlier. What are your thoughts as a, as a person that specializes in crime and hidden crime in particular about why this case is a little bit different than most? Right. The hidden motives. Uh, thank you for asking that, Bob. You know, I think one thing is these children thought they were evil and that they were sinning. Jody Hildebrandt, a therapist who is in a position of power, someone you're supposed to trust, that people in the community did trust, then, you know, is charged and convicted as the abuser in this case, and that these children were so brainwashed that they believed that the abuse was their fault, that there is this bit of religious element, and as well as this idea that we should trust this therapist, that she is in this position of power. I think it gets into a little bit of a cult type of scenario, like a cult leader almost. And that's what I think people are wondering, you know, it's about who was responsible. Was it Jody? Was it Ruby? Of course, they've been charged with the the same uh, charges, the, the four consecutive counts of aggravated abuse. And then the other thing, and I really want to talk to you about this, is the fact that it was so severe that uh, I want to point out that in the probable cause, it stated life-threatening injuries. You know, take that, think about that for a second. life threatening injuries, and that they refer to this as torture. You mentioned a concentration camp, and yet this is only a second-degree felony in Utah. And I think that's something that also we need to see as well, is that in aggravated abuse in the state of Utah is, is a second-degree felony, and I, I'm really interested in that and your thoughts on that as well. But I think the severity of this abuse, that it was in hidden plain sight, plain sight yeah. by people that were prominent, good people in the community is really a big factor in what makes this so shocking, as well as a YouTuber mother. Yeah, I mean, great, great questions. And I would like to answer that question. Sentencing parameters are very difficult. As a prosecutor, we want to make sure, and as a defense lawyer, and as a judiciary, that we have reasonable sentencing guidelines. Sometimes, you know, one set of guidelines does not fit all, that's for sure. But I'm going to get back to that question, Lauren, because I think it's a good one. But I'm, I'm being told that there's some something going on with regard to sentencing in the courtroom. So let's go in. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to District Court. We're here for sentencing in the matter of State of Utah versus Ruby Frankie. Ms. Frankie is here with Mr. Winward. Mr. Clark and Mr. Shum are here for the State of Utah. And we are ready to proceed with sentencing. We are. Yes, Your Honor. Counsel, the terms of the sentence were agreed to as part of the plea agreement, correct? That is correct. There is a pre-sentence investigation report in the matter. I have reviewed that. Everyone has seen it? Yes. What about restitution, counsel, before we move on with other matters? We'd like to leave that open at this time, Your Honor. I can get into that. I might be more comfortable if we approach to get into that. Is there an agreement that restitution, that we reserve that for what period of time? Eight months is what we're anticipating. But I haven't talked to the defendant's counsel about that. We haven't discussed that, Your Honor. Is there any objection? No. All right. What's the state's position regarding sentencing? Your Honor, the state, I'll stand up. The state respectfully requests that the court sentence Ms. Frankie to consecutive prison terms for each of the four counts of aggravated child abuse. This sentence was agreed to by Ms. Frankie in her plea agreement and is also recommended by adult probation and parole. She committed horrible acts of child abuse. From May to August in 2023, Ms. Frankie and her business partner held her two children, ages 9 and 11, turning 12, in a concentration camp-like setting. The children were regularly denied food, water, beds to sleep in, and virtually all forms of entertainment. They were isolated from others and were hidden when people came to visit the house where the children and the defendants were staying. The children were forced to do physical tasks like carrying loaded boxes up and down stairs and wall sits or sitting against a wall without a chair or a stool for hours at a time. They were also forced to do manual labor outdoors in the extreme summer heat at times without shoes or socks. They were forced to stand outside on a cement patio in the summer heat for hours and even days at a time. They were beaten and the 12-year-old was regularly bound hand and foot after he attempted to run away in mid-July. Both children had extensive physical injuries from the abuse that required hospitalization when they were found. The injuries from the binding to the 12-year-old are particularly awful. In addition to physical abuse, the children were emotionally abused to the extent that each believed to some degree that they deserved what was being done to them. Had the older of the children not had the courage to run away and ask a neighbor to call the police, heaven only knows how much longer he could have survived in that situation. After being caught, Ms. Frankie has shown considerable remorse as evidenced by agreeing to serve consecutive prison terms and being willing to cooperate with the state against Ms. Hildebrandt. However, given the severity of the abuse she inflicted, consecutive terms are appropriate in this case. As the court's aware, Section 76-3401 lays out factors the court takes into account in determining whether consecutive or concurrent sentences should be imposed. Those factors are the gravity and circumstances of the offense, the number of victims, and the history, character, and rehabilitative needs of the defendant. 
has agreed to in the plea agreement and is recommended by adult probation and parole, consecutive sentences are appropriate. This is due to the severity of the abuse to both victims. It could be argued that Ms. Frankie should receive a lesser sentence than Ms. Hildebrandt because of her remorse and willingness to cooperate with the state. However, the Board of Pardons and Parole will have broad latitude and will be able to take those facts into account when it determines how long each of the co-defendants will remain incarcerated. In conclusion, we respectfully request that the court um, go along with what was agreed to in the plea agreement and is recommended by probation and parole and impose consecutive sentences. Thank you. Anything else from the state? No, Your Honor. Mr. Lindworth? Thank you, Your Honor. Good morning. In my few comments this morning, and in the comments my client wishes to make in a few minutes, we are not suggesting, nor are we asking that the court deviate from the stipulated sentence contained in the written plea agreement. I want the court to know that through introspection and reflection, Ruby Frankie has become a serious student of her own actions. In the very early days of my involvement with Ruby, she was somewhat defensive, and she was still very much indoctrinated into a philosophy that was destructive. Fortunately, Ruby came to the stark realization of the errors in her thinking patterns and subsequent actions. To say that she was horrified by this realization would be to put it mildly. I have marveled at how quickly Ruby abandoned her defensive stance and moved toward her total acceptance of her actions and to her sentence today. So far, she has used her time in jail to unwrap the layers upon layers of deceit and deception forced upon her over the last four years by an unscrupulous individual. Ruby realizes that she still has work to do in shedding those thinking errors and to reestablish a better and correct pattern of thinking and behavior. Ruby realizes that changing her thinking, reestablishing relationships, and healing are not simple or easy tasks. However, she is committed, committed to doing that work. I would like the court to know that Ruby Frankie is a delightful, respectful, and responsible person. She is open to feedback and addressing the consequences of her actions head on, and now ready to address your honor and accept your judgment. Thank you, Judge Walton. Thank you. Ms. Frankie has a statement she'd like to make. She does.
Jody was employed as my son's counselor in 2019, and in 2020, I paid her to be my mentor. It is important to me to demonstrate my remorse and regret without blame. I take full accountability for my choices, and it is my preference that I serve a prison sentence. Thank you to the officers in Santa Clara and the Ivan City Police, Nick Hellman, Brian Palufo, Cy Pickivit, Mike Pondolio in Tobler, John Ward, D. Lewis, and Chief Flowers. You were the angels who came and saved my children. I especially want to thank Detective Jay Bate. She plucked me out of a situation I didn't know how to get out of. And the moment she handcuffed me was the moment I gained my freedom. You were not the controlling ones. I was. Thank you to the medical staff at Intermountain Hospital. Your skill, tenderness, and professionalism helped heal my children. Jody and I inflicted the injuries, not the hospital. Thank you to DCFS, the Children's Justice Center, Judge Basil, and other key adults. You've gathered my children under your wing and offered them love, compassion, encouragement. You were not the ones who were doing the brainwashing. Thank you to my Bishop Tom Hawks and my State President Jim Nelson for reminding me of the Lord's love for the lost. So much pain and suffering would have been avoided had I followed and heeded your counsel. I was the one who was deceived, not you. Thank you to the Washington County Prosecutor's Office, Ryan Shaw, the legal assistants and discovery clerks. Eric Clark, you exemplified to me how justice and mercy are meant to coexist. My charges are just. They offer safety to my family, accountability to the public, and they did show mercy to me. Thank you to my attorney, Lamar Winward, and his staff. I would not be where I am today without them. Thank you to Randy Kester for your limitless energy in healing my family. My dear friends, Pam and Roy, I'm so sorry for letting you down. Because of your association with me, your innocence was called into question. My mother-in-law, father-in-law, Kevin's family, my cousins, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, and neighbors, you all saw the warning signs long before I did, and you did what you could. You wanted to help, but I pushed you away. My mother and father, I have been utterly wretched to you. You have offered me unconditional love, and for that I have offered you unconditional contempt. My siblings and their spouses, because of my decision to roll around in a pigsty, I have dragged your families through the mud in public. Yet, when I desired to return as a prodigal sister, unlike the prodigal's brother in the Bible, you seemed stuck with my parents and ran out to greet me. Your capacity to love is unprecedented. Kevin, my husband of more than 23 years, you are the love of my life. 
so sorry to leave two to finish, but we both started together. And the ending of our marriage is a tragedy. It will wrapped around my heart. And now I'll never be able to undo. To my babies, my six little chicks, you are part of me. I was the mama duck who was consistently holding you to safety. I can smile. Over the past four years, I was in a deep undercurrent that led us to danger. from our sponsor. While Shopify has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world, did you know Shopify can do the same thing for your very own retail store? 
With Shopify, you unite both in-person and online sales, tracking every sale in one place. Hidden True Crime uses Shopify's tools to help us build marketing campaigns for all of our social media platforms, and their plug-in tools are as unique as our business, allowing us multiple ways to accept payments and promote our store. Plus, Shopify's help is always there to support our success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash hidden true crime, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash hidden true crime for a $1 per month trial period to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash hidden true crime. Thank you for your statement, Ms. Frankie. Anything else, Mr. Winward? No, Your Honor. Anything else prior to the court imposing sentence? No, Your Honor. The sentence will be that Ms. Frankie serve four counts, four one to 15 year sentences based on her convictions for four counts of aggravated child abuse. Again, they will serve consecutively, be served consecutively pursuant to the party's agreement and the applicable statute. Under the applicable statute, the court finds that, a cons that consecutive sentences are appropriate. Ms. Frankie, the last thing I do need to tell you is that you have only 30 days to file or to perfect an appeal of any errors of the court by filing a written notice of appeal with the clerk of the court. If you don't do that within 30 days, you will lose your right to appeal. You also have the right to the assistance of an attorney on appeal and to have one appointed if you cannot afford to hire your own. Restitution, as agreed by the parties, will remain open for a period of eight months any of the parties can bring that matter back before the court within that, that period of time. Anything else? No, Your Honor. Your Honor. Thank you. Thank you. Next matter before the court is State of Utah versus Hildebrandt, case 2315017636. Terry is here representing Ms. Hildebrandt. Mr. Shum and Mr. Clark are here representing the state. Your Honor, we anticipated 10.30. I'm not saying that we need to wait till then, but can I have a moment, please? Approach, please. Court recalls the matter of State of Utah versus Hildebrandt, case 2315017763. Counsel are present. Ms. Hildebrandt is present. Counsel, there is a pre-sentence investigation report. I have read it. Everyone has seen and reviewed that. Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. Again, the sentence was stipulated at the time of the plea agreement. What, what record do we need to make other than going forward with sentencing? Um, I, Your Honor, I 
it, it would be repetitive. I, so I, I had the same statement just with the last few paragraphs where, where I was differentiating between Ms. Frank and Ms. Hildebrand. Okay, let's talk about, about housekeeping matters first. What about restitution? And we, we've stipulated to keep that open for eight months. It is appropriate, Your Honor, since we don't have any evidence with respect to restitution, and that's because it is still in the process of being gathered by uh, the county attorney's office. It's, a, it's completely appropriate for the court to make no orders with respect to restitution other than to reserve all issues regarding restitution and we have no issue with the eight-month eight uh, uh, time frame. And the injunction that was previously issued by the court will remain in effect? It will. In, at least until that time? It will remain in effect until further order of this court. All right. Mr. Clark? Thanks, Your Honor. The state of Utah respectfully requests that the court sentence Ms. Hildebrandt to consecutive prison terms for each of the four counts of aggravated child abuse to which she has pleaded guilty. The sentence was agreed to her in her plea agreement and is also recommended by adult probation and parole. Ms. Hildebrandt committed awful acts of child abuse. From May to August 2023, she and her business partner held two children, ages 9 and 11, turning 12, in a concentration camp-like setting in her house in Ivan City. The children were regularly denied food, water, beds to sleep in, and virtually all forms of entertainment. They were isolated from others and were hidden when people came to visit the house. They were forced to do physical tasks, like carrying loaded boxes up and down stairs and doing wall sits or sitting against a wall without assistance of a chair or stool for hours at a time. They were forced to do manual labor outdoors in the extreme summer heat, often without shoes or socks. They were also forced to stand outside on a cement patio in the summer heat for hours and even days. They were beaten, and the 12-year-old was regularly bound hand and foot after he attempted to run away in mid-July. Both children had extensive physical injuries from the abuse that required hospitalization to treat. The injuries from the binding are particularly bad. In addition to the physical abuse, the children were emotionally abused. They each believed to some degree that they deserved what was being done to them. Had the older of the two children not had the courage to run away and ask a neighbor to call the police, heaven only knows how much longer he could have survived. After being caught, Ms. Hildebrandt has shown little to no remorse for her actions. In telephone conversations that will be provided in full to the Board of Pardons and Parole, and which she knew to be recorded, she's repeatedly claimed that she is the victim and the children are the perpetrators. She's gone so far as to say that the things said in this proceeding and covered by the media today will be full of lies. The combination of three factors make Ms. Hildebrand a significant threat to the community. First, the severity of the abuse she caused to be inflicted on young children. Second, her attitude that everything she did was justified and that she is being wrongfully imprisoned. And third, her training as a therapist and aptitude for using online resources to convince others to follow her guidance. Utah Code Section 76-3401 lays out three factors the court should consider in determining whether to impose concurrent or consecutive sentences. The first is the gravity and circumstances of the offense. The second is the number of victims. And the third is the history, character, and rehabilitative need of the defendant. 
has agreed to in the plea agreement and is recommended by adult probation and parole, consecutive sentences are appropriate here. This is due to the severity of the abuse to the two victims and the extreme need for Ms. Hildebrandt to be rehabilitated so that she no longer will present a risk to the community. The state respectfully requests that she be sentenced to four consecutive terms. Thank you, Mr. Clark. Mr. Terry? Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, I will be brief. As is always the case in cases that come before courts, there are two sides to every case. And as, um, and even in a case like this, that remains the case. Um, there are many, many allegations regarding these two individuals, Miss um, Frankie and my client, Miss Hildebrand. The only facts in this case that are adjudicated facts are those set forth in the plea agreement that she entered into, that she entered into freely and knowingly and voluntarily. Those facts, those adjudicated facts, are significant. They certainly provide a basis for the pleas and provide a basis for the stipulated sentence in this case. My experience with Ms. Hildebrandt is that she is not the person that she has been portrayed to be. But having said that, she has accepted responsibility in this case. She has entered into this plea agreement with a stipulated sentence of four consecutive uh, sentences. She did that at the time she entered into the plea agreement, knowing that that would be the court's order. She is before the court today, knowing that that would be the court's order, and she fully accepts that. She accepts responsibility, and she accepts the consequences for her conduct. Um, and we will submit it to the court on the stipulated agreement. Mr. Terry, you suggested that there are, there are two sides to every case. I generally agree with you. Ms. Hildebrand didn't make a statement to AP&P in, in the course of the pre-sentence investigation report. Correct. Why did she not make a, make a statement? She wanted to reserve her right to make a statement before the court today, and she has a brief statement that she wants to read, Your Honor. Okay. And, and All right. Ms. Hildebrand? sincerely love these children. I desire for them to heal physically and emotionally. One of the reasons I did not go to trial is that I did not want them to emotionally relive the experience which would have been detrimental to them. My hope and prayer is that they will heal and move forward to have beautiful lives. I am willing to submit to what the state feels would be an appropriate amount of time served to make restitution as an outcome. And in answer to your question, Your Honor, I knew that 
whatever she might say to the author of the pre-sentence report would probably be sound uh, hollow or, and self-serving, and perhaps it does today. But I know that my client, in the statement that she makes to the court today, that that, that, that statement is absolutely sincere. Not is, just. is Hildebrandt recognized that it's her behavior that that caused the harm to the children that she's referred to in her statement? Your Honor, she recognizes that she was, along with Miss Frankie, um, that, that she made decisions with respect to the discipline of those children that were wrong, that caused harm to those children. She fully recognizes that and accepts responsibility for that. All right. Anything else? No, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. Okay. Ms. Hildebrandt, this, this circumstance is tragic. It's largely, of course, of your making. By any measure, your conduct in this case was disastrous for these children. Adults are supposed to protect children. Adults with specialized training in particular are supposed to protect children. You didn't do that in this case. In this, in this case, you terrorized children, and the results have been tragic. It's what happened to these children and your philosophy in dealing with them frankly seems detached from reality or any objective standard of decency or, or even common sense. And the court finds that it is appropriate that you serve a prison sentence. The court finds under the statute, Utah Code 76-3-401, given the gravity and circumstances of the offenses, the number of victims and the history and character and needs of the defendant that consecutive sentences are appropriate. The court imposes four one to 15 year sentences to be again served consecutively for each of the four counts of aggravated child abuse. The last thing I do need to tell you is that you only have 30 days to file or perfect an appeal of any error of the court by filing a written notice of appeal with the clerk of the court. If you don't do that, you will lose your right to appeal. That has to be filed in writing and again within 30 days. You also have the right to the assistance of an attorney and to have an attorney appointed if you cannot afford to hire your own. Thank you. We're in recess. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Your Well, I don't know about you folks, but I found that those two sentencings to be extraordinary. I've seen this a lot in my career. I've, I've never quite seen a defense fall on the sword and give such a detailed, um, I think, heartfelt um, reaction to a, an insight into their crime and how it affected uh, the community affected their marriage, affected her family, affected her friends, and more importantly, affected her children. And that's important. I think you would agree because 
when the parole board is going to be looking at paroling somebody, they want to see if you have insight into your conduct, that you're less likely to be re-involved in the criminal justice system. And let's juxtapose that with Hildebrandt, uh, who did not give a statement to the probation department, the judge making a notation about that. That that wasn't a pleasant response the judge was asking. He was making a point to say that in his mind, I'm, I'm giving you the in-between lines, that there is no remorse, there is no acceptance of responsibility. And, and then the statement that she gave was uh, lackluster, if not, in my opinion, harmful. Uh, the, the, the lawyer had to basically answer some of the questions for the client. And the judge at the end goes after her by saying that she's detached from reality and emphasizing that as a professional, sorry for the long-winded statement slash question, uh, that, that as a professional, she should have known better. Now, here's my question to you. I am not sure how this system operates. It's different. I guess the parole board is going to make the decision here. And because it's consecutive sentencing, it could be anywhere from four to 60 years. But I'll tell you one thing right now. If the sentencing were something that the parole board is going to look at, which they will, and the judge's comments, which they will, and the allocution of the defendants, which they will, Jody certainly um, assisted herself, and I'm sorry, Ruby uh, certainly assisted herself, Ruby Frankie, and Jody Hildebrand, in my opinion, harmed her. What are your thoughts? So, as, first of all, hi, Bob. Hi, Lauren. Nice to see both of you. Um, as a criminal defense attorney, I want to say that Ruby's allocution statement, her statement of mitigation, made me understand the plea agreement for the first time. This is strategy. So the strategy was to, like you said, throw herself on the sword, make herself seem as remorseful as possible, because she's thinking about the long run when she gets in front of the parole board. Utah is real different. So they don't have have, like in my state, you have to serve a certain percentage before you're eligible for parole. The um, the way the counts go is one to 15 years for each count. And so at that one year mark, she's going to have the ability to be before the parole board. She's been held since August. She has credit for that. And so she's already signaling to them her remorse. I And obviously, uh, Jody Hildebrandt is more combative and less remorseful. That comes across very clearly. But I want to be very clear here. Do not be fooled. Ruby Frankie's abuse of her children existed before she ever met Jody Hildebrand, and that was shown on her YouTube channel. She abused those children on YouTube, and people saw it and complained about it, and she eventually took her channel down. So it might be that things escalated and ramped up because these two malignant personalities got together, but it is not that Ruby Frankie is some you know, some babe in the woods that was led astray by the evil Jody Hildebrandt. The two of them were simpatico in how they mishandled and mistreated these children. Yeah, agreed. And a very good point. Uh, but, you know, I tell you, this is, I think, what the problem is for judges, parole people, and prosecutors, for that matter. Um, the statement on paper uh, was was excellent. The question is whether it was heartfelt. Now, I'm being told right now that there is actually a press conference by the prosecutor. Let's go to it actively hiding things and it, because the abuse was horrific and it would have been apparent to anybody that would have seen the kids that something was wrong here. Is this some of the worst child abuse you've seen in your career? Yes, and not just in my career, but in our office's career, in our institutional memory, this is this is one of the worst child abuse cases that we've seen. Do you consider this precedent setting? Can you? In terms of 
the actual sentences they end up serving? Um, no, because I think the board takes everything into account so specifically. I, um, you think Jody's going to end up serving more? I hope so. I, 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 I hope that Jody does serve more. I think that that would only be fair. I think that Ruby should serve. The, so the sentence that they got is basically four to 30 years today, right? Yeah. Um, the, the four one-year minimum staff, and then in Utah, you're capped at 30 years. I, I think that a four-year minimum for Ruby's actions are entirely appropriate. I, um, I hope that Jody serves more time than that, and I hope that she isn't out of prison until everybody is completely confident that she's no longer a risk. And, and to get there, she's going to have to acknowledge that, that she has done wrong and that, that you can't use religion as a means to justify your, your crazy behavior. Do you think I, I just, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to understand why would the mother, in your opinion, deserve less time when she's watching, she's torturing her kids versus a, like a stranger? Wouldn't you hold a parent more accountable? I, I and again, so they, they both got the same deal, right? Yeah. Like we, we didn't give, we didn't give her a less of a, of a minimum time. Part of the mission of, of what we do when we incarcerate people, I'll obviously want to see justice done. And, and a mother abusing her children in this way is awful. Awful. And, and people should go to prison for that. The, uh, uh, something that, that is really important is that people shouldn't be released from prison unless they've hit the maximum amount of time they should be in or they've done enough that justice is served and it's clear that they're no longer a risk to the community. And I'm super concerned that Jody, if she were released today, is a significant risk to, to, to gather followers. Ruby was essentially a follower of Jody. And, and if she's gathering that, gathering people and then convincing them to do this kind of thing, that, that's a huge risk. And, and those type of, type of people shouldn't be walking the streets when they've committed these kind of crimes. There was some back and forth with the restitution piece of this. Can you explain where you are with that? Um, so there, was, there were a couple of motions filed over the course of the last month about that. And um, I, we anticipate a restitution claim coming in that, that will cover ongoing therapy and physical care if, or like physical recovery if needed of the victims of these crimes. Um, this, the, the state hasn't submitted a claim for restitution yet and we want to make sure that there's, that there's plenty of time for all of that to be kind of analyzed and brought in before we close out restitution. And, and that and that should be the same for both defendants, right? Like both both of them will will end up with restitution orders against them, I assume. Thank you. Yep, I have I have a, a written statement that kind of recapsulates some of what I said in there and, and just talks a little bit about this. You guys are welcome to have that. We'll email yeah. that out yeah. also. Thank you. And thanks you guys. Thanks. Well Lauren, uh, you know, listen, this is what we were talking about before. There were two completely it was a tale of two different sentencing hearings, if you will. Uh, one who took completely Ruby Frankie, the mother, complete responsibility. I have never heard people we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna thanking uh, 
lot of activity going on out there, like she did for being arrested, willing to accept her sentence, knowing she had to go to jail, uh, thanking the police, thanking the prosecutors, apologizing to her parents uh, at a, a certain point in time and said, you show me un unadulterated love and I've showed you nothing but, you know, unadulterated contempt or words to those language that Kevin, her husband, the love of her life is going to have to finish what they started. Really, if she genuinely believes these things, and that's a question we have to ask, it was a gut-wrenching sentencing with a complete adoption, Lauren, of acceptance of responsibility. And just before we took that press conference, we saw the co-defendant, Jody Hildebrandt, with a completely defiant tone, and I think that that is going to hurt her at the end. And sure enough, we find the prosecutor here says that he believes that the mom should get the minimum four-year sentence, but that Jody, who doesn't have insight into her conduct, should get more. Exactly what I was saying. What do you think? I completely agree. You know, this is what we've been hearing. You've had Jesse on a long crime many times, and she's always stated that she believes that uh, their aunt is the one that is, you know, responsible for this. We see the difference in their statements. I've never seen a statement like that before from someone at a sentencing. Not only is she apologizing, as you point out, she's thanking everyone one by one, almost like it's an award ceremony. I'd like to thank this person. I'd like to thank this person before I'm headed off to prison. Thank you, everyone. And then you see Jody, and they state, even when she was being recorded uh, behind bars and she knew that she was being recorded, she still would not take responsibility. And that statement, that short statement that she made, she never took responsibility. Did you notice that her yeah. wording? She, she said that she loved the children. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was offensive to me, saying that she loved the children yeah. that she abused and that she hopes that they can heal, but never once did she say, and I am the reason they have to heal. Yeah. That was missing. She could not say it. Yeah. And to see mm -hmm. the differences there, and then, as you point out, that press conference right now stating, and you know yeah. what? We do hope that Jody gets the maximum. That yep. was really interesting. I agree. Going to have to wow. cut you off here real quick because that's why the judge said at the end that she was detached from reality. Let's listen to the defense because they are now at the mic. With many layers that happened over many years, it is not one that can be adequately told in one setting, let alone at a press conference. At Windward Law, we know the sorrow our client feels and the remorse she carries. We know of her commitment to heal and provide healing for her family. We give thanks to all who have provided support during this very difficult process. Thank you. She addressed her. So the judge talked very differently to defendant Hildebrand versus, um, versus your client. Do you have any comment on that? I'll just leave it at what Judge Walton said. I think he was very accurate. She addressed her husband and children in her statement, yet she never turned around to look at him, not even when she left. What do you know about their communication levels at this point? I don't, um, because her husband and family have attorneys, it's difficult for communication to happen except through attorneys. That's an unfortunate consequence sometimes of our legal system in domestic cases. But she didn't even turn around and look at him. That's probably by design. We're addressing the court in that proceeding, uh, even though we address family. What do you expect for the future of her relationship with her children? I'm hoping that those that healing will happen and that not just physically, but emotionally and family-wise, that that will be 
a source of positive in the future. Has she had any family visitors in her time while she's been incarcerated? Different family members have reached out through the local jail and have communicated with her, yes. But not Kevin? Not to my knowledge. Are her children that are older and above 18? Not to my knowledge. Thank you all. What do you think a fair sentence for her is, ultimately, the time I have to leave that to the Board of Pardons because that is their entire province, and mine would be a pure guess. How does what that complicate things based on today? Pardon? How does that complicate things based on today? I mean, you hear a sentencing, it's very similar to what was already described in court. How does the Board of Pardons and Parole fit into this entire nuance here and, and kind of drag out a they, process a little bit? They ultimately have the ultimate decision-making to determine what is the adequate sentence after periods of time have elapsed. The prosecution said this is the worst child abuse case our office has ever seen. What's it like on the other side of that? I don't think it's the worst. It's, it's bad, but it's not the worst. Thank you all. Douglas Terry, I represent Jody Hildebrandt. Doug, you said two sides to every story. It didn't seem like the judge agreed. What do you make of that back and forth and dialogue? Um, the seriousness of the case, the seriousness of the allegations, the seriousness of the facts that, that to both Ms. Frankie and Ms. Hildebrandt pled guilty to, um, I was not surprised at all by uh, the judge's comments and questions of my client. Um, I, I'm not prepared to go into specifics with respect to facts that are, that are uh, disputed in this case. Um, I will stand by what I said on her behalf in the sentencing hearing, and that is that she entered into this plea agreement to take responsibility for her conduct in this case. Um, her statement that she hopes for both the physical and emotional healing of these children is absolutely sincere. Um, how much time she serves will ultimately be up to the Board of Pardons, as with Miss Frankie. When she said that she, she loved the children, the, you know, Chad and Sherry had a smirks and, and were looked shocked on their faces. You know, do you have a comment about that? No, I, 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 that doesn't surprise me, but again, she was sincere in that statement. Do you think she should have had more to say? Ruby spoke for a, a very detailed length of time, and, and Jody had a few sentences. Did you go over that with her? Was there, was there an opportunity for her to say more? She had the opportunity to say whatever she wanted to say. I did not put words in her mouth. I wanted her to make a statement from the heart. That's what she felt like she needed to to uh, to convey today, that it's about the children, not about her. And that's what she did. The prosecution said there's phone calls that are recorded in which Hildebrandt lacks remorse. What do you know about those phone calls? And is she... I know that early on in the case, uh, she had phone calls with individuals that were in support of her, did not believe that she did the things that she was accused of doing. I have not listened to those phone calls, as the county attorney's office has. Um, but again, whatever was said was early in the case, and that is not her position today. So she's changed how she feels about it? As often is the case when individuals are charged, arrested, accused. Um, there is, sometimes it's a process to come to the point where uh, they take responsibility and accept the consequences. A lot of people have spoken out about other victims in this case, the victims of Jody and other different sorts. And I know this is about the children, but how much is that weighed into what you guys have discussed with Jody? 
As far as as far as other victims, uh, that that has not been a factor. Well, and prosecutors are saying that they're hoping that Jody gets a, a lengthier, heavier sentence. They feel that she's kind of the ringleader in this whole situation. That's the prosecution's position. It has been from the beginning. As I said, when we entered into the plea agreement, she did not do that because uh, Ms. Frankie had agreed to testify against her. That decision was made before Ms. Frankie ever, ever agreed to testify against her uh, to cooperate with the state. Um, Mr. Terry, you said that there were two sides to every case. What is the side of Jody Hillcrest that we're not seeing? I'm not going to go into the specifics of allegations that she agrees with and doesn't agree with. I, I will stand by the statement that I made in the sentencing hearing, and that is that the factual basis that is set forth in the plea agreement, those are the only adjudicated facts in the case. She, she admitted to those facts. She takes responsibility for those facts. She's been sentenced on those facts. This is a small family-oriented community, and her home was essentially likened to a concentration camp. How did she square that? How did she walk around living in this community while there was a house of horrors? Um, I'm not prepared to respond to that. That's an allegation that I heard for the first time today. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a, 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 a characterization by the prosecutors, which again is no surprise, um, but that's from their perspective and I'm not prepared to address that. You don't feel that's an accurate description? I do not. You disagree with that? I do. Has uh, Ms. Hildebrandt, has she expressed remorse to you about what Many happened? times. Many times. What is her remorse? What What is she sorry about? That, that she didn't make different decisions and, and that would have uh, uh, resulted in the children being more protected. Is she delusional? I'm not going to respond to that. Has she had people come visit her family? I know Ruby has a larger family that has been a little bit more present at some of the hearings. Has she had some support in all of this? I don't know that she's had visits, personal visits, but I know that she's been in contact with people who are supportive of her. No family, though? I'm not, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Is she going to sell her home? I know the restitution can play out for it, It's for sale, yes. For sale? It, based on the fact that we anticipated a prison sentence, yes, it's for sale. That's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thank sir. you very much. Hi there. Okay, we've got another interview. Do you guys want to know who Jody Hildebrand is? <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll answer your questions. He's her attorney. He can't answer them. My name's Adam Paul Steed, and if you guys want to know who Jody Hildebrand is, I'll, I'll answer tons of questions about her. I know my dad. Hey, Dad, come here. Come, come here. Come here. My dad has a file at home that's probably about 2,500 pages of records from court filings and, and just huge amount of documentation about Jody Hildebrandt that's, that we will share with everybody. I want you to know the same court that uh, has ordered us not to share these documents is, is covering up this racket that Jody Hildebrandt had with the Mormon Church in the 4th District Utah County Court. She abused my children the same way 
almost even in a different type of abuse it's I think it's it could be argued worse and that was 15 years ago and I, I fought against Jody Hildebrandt with my family and everybody to stop this monster of a lady and Jody went after me she went after me destroyed my life in the craziest way you could ever think of possible like I was a victim of sexual abuse at Boy Scouts of America Camp Little Lemhi in Idaho and my dad helped us stop a predator you can watch read and it's in the national press and everything. We changed the laws of sexual abuse so victims could come forward. We got rid of the criminal and civil statute limitations. The Mormon Church knew who we were. And Elder Helam, Richard G. Helam, was like next, he was the president of the first quorum of the 70, the top probably executive functioning leader of the whole Mormon church. And he sat with Jody Hildebrandt as they destroyed my life in this court racket, like they've destroyed countless other people's lives. And they even had the gall to order my Mormon stories thing where I brought some documentation off the internet saying that they didn't want me to say bad things to my children or in front of the children about my ex-wife. Well, if you're accused of sexual abuse by Jody Hildebrandt, and if your ex-wife performed a, a falsification of sexual abuse, that professionals looked at the documentation and said, this is sexual abuse. This is sexual abuse. We have documentation for sexual abuse of my children by Jody Hildebrandt and my ex-wife. And, you know, this stuff was uh, redacted in the Doppel paperwork. It was so horrible that it was redacted. And the courts just recently said, I couldn't talk about my family or my ex-wife or anything, but if you have children, if your children were trained to think that your dad was sexual, a predator, and a monster. So, so can, I'm sorry, we, we came in a little bit late. Why is it that you wanted to be here? Okay, so there are tons, and it's not Jody, Jody Hildebrandt is the tip of the iceberg. The Mormon church was doing this operation where they were using religious beliefs and they were using ethical therapists to enforce them and it was an area of exploitation and it was a horrific area it was exploitation because it created horrible divorces that should have been normal divorces we're talking about hundreds and thousands of families going through these courts and Jody was like an icon her doctrine okay so here's the problem everybody so today it sounds like it was a little bit of like justice for you too oh Jody yeah Ruby Ruby Frank, when I saw Ruby Frank, I saw my ex-wife sitting there saying the exact same thing. That my, my ex-wife would have said the exact same thing Ruby Frankie said today. And a lot of other women would have said the same thing. You have no idea how many victims are out there that are, they're, they're, their minds have been messed up so much with this. Uh, the, the, the prosecutor said that um, he said that the children uh, thought it was their fault. All of the adult men think it's their fault. All of the women think it's their fault. I have had countless emails and messages. Sorry, what was your name? I'm Adam Paul Steed. I was, I'm the guy that got Jody's license from Doppel removed. Well, my dad and mom get the credit. But, uh, you know, and, and they said that the Doppel department said, we have evidence here for criminal charges against Jody. This is 13 years ago. It's identical stuff. So I almost like fell over in the courtroom when I heard Jody say that she loved those children. Jody doesn't love children. Jody's like Ted Bundy. In fact, one time I was in a, in a, in a. Do you feel that she should have a longer sentence than? Jo Jody, here's the problem. Somebody hits a person and runs. That's like two variables: a car and someone running. They catch him. 
Jody's got like 30 variables, including a huge issue with the Mormon church racketing. I mean, they're all ducking low and covering. In fact, I looked at an email, and I can show this to you guys. This is factual evidence where the, it should have been a neutral person in the courts. Kelly, uh, Kelly Peterson, the guardian at Lydum, when they were punishing me in the family custody courts, he said that my act to turn Jody Hildebrandt in was an act of vengeance. And they took my kids away from me. Because I performed an act of vengeance. That's in the. This court was sitting there completely in bed with Jody. They've done. I talked to Doug Thayer's daughter. She saw relations. I mean, these aggressive attorneys working with Jody, Commissioner Patton. These, all these people know about Jody. The BYU Honor Code Office did a before they kicked me out of school for being a whistleblower on child abuse, I guess. Jody Hildebrandt went there and, and told them I was the most dangerous man she'd ever met in her lifetime. She, she has, we have hundreds of pages of this stuff of Jody Hildebrandt working with top church leaders to dispel me. I got kicked out of school my senior year. The, this lady, uh, we've got all this documentation of how she talks, how she walks. Now, here's what I do want to say. I don't like Ruby Frankie, but I don't know her. I just think you have to be a selfish person to fall for Jody's stuff. You, you got, she's got a certain kind of carrot that gets certain kind of people. But Ruby Frankie would have never done any of this stuff if Jody Hildebrandt hadn't been the mastermind and just completely, completely created this. Ruby Frankie's not dangerous in the sense she's not going to go out and do this to more kids, but Jody Hildebrandt will. When we put her, when we went to Doppel and we, we went to Doppel, Doppel ordered her to go through all this ethical stuff. She went through the whole thing with shining colors and she turned around and did the same stuff again. I mean, even when she was teaching us that we were safe to come to her and stuff, she was, she was abusing children at the same time with one hand and, and, do, and teaching a godliness with another so hand. So what's her motivation? Uh, Jody Hildebrandt had a weird relationship with my ex-wife. It was a dual relationship. It was bordering sexual in nature. I mean, it, she went through different women that made her look powerful and important. My ex-wife's dad was an Area 70 in the Mormon church. And Jody Hildebrandt wanted uh, power and, and, but I know her instincts. When you're in a pain and suffering, when you talk about something and she finds a way to hurt you, it makes her blush. It makes her feel euphoric. I've seen her act that way and look that way in the worst of circumstances. So I always compare Jody Hildebrandt to Ted Bundy because nobody can figure out why a serial killer would kill people. Jody Hildebrandt, she, she grows off of people's pain and destruction. And when she sat there and said she loved those kids, I almost fell out of my chair. The only thing she, her, her version of loving children is find a way to make them hurt more than anything possible. It's like an energy she feeds off of. Thank you so much, Adam. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't. It's a little traumatic for me, so if I monologue, I'm sorry. Does anybody have a question? That Cover a lot. Cover the we got a ton of documentation. So this, this, those, that fourth district court's got to be ducking their heads right now because uh, I do want to say something. There's, there's countless children out there that have been raised to believe their fathers are predators because of Jody Hildebrandt. And the fourth district court and other courts involved don't want to show they made mistakes. So who's going to help those children?
Like, who's going to help them? Like, this, this is a, a court of public opinion. People need to find out the truth to go help all these children and help all these people come forward. And the fact that the court tried to silence me for being on the front edge of coming forward is just an example of how the same notorious people in power back then that allowed Jody to do all this stuff are alive and thriving today. And if you give a damn about our children, you've got to do the same thing I do and fight for what's true. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you, Adam. That was Adam Steed. Um, excuse me, I'm sorry, I was getting it through my IFB hearing myself. That was Adam Steed, who um, claims to have been a victim of Jody Hildebrandt, in a sense, comparing her to Ted Bundy. So really, really emotional testimony that we're hearing outside of the courthouse now. Bob, I'll send it back to you right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is uh, kind of amazing. What can you, I mean, look, you're there. This, I, again, another thing I've never seen before. Do, do I understand the guy just walked into the middle of a press conference, completely unannounced, grabbed a, a microphone, and just started riffing on, on uh, Hildebrand here after the judge basically got done saying that Hildebrand is uh, detached from reality? And have you ever heard this before? And do you think that this may spark people looking into other cases? Yeah. yeah, it probably looked a little wild on your end, and that's kind of what happens. These hearings were super quick, and afterward, we were running after the Frankie family and then spoke to both the prosecutors um, and defense attorneys, too. But it probably looked a little bit like what it was that he ran in front of the camera and grabbed our mic. I'm glad that he did. But he did speak with our executive producer, Kathy Russin, ahead of time, so we kind of knew his background a little bit. Now, as far as what we heard from prosecutors, they don't believe that there are going to be any more charges in relation to this case, but potentially there could be more investigations in similar cases. I mean, this man you just heard from Adam Steed said that there are many more allegations, years of abuse at the hands of Jody Hildebrandt, and it kind of echoed what we've been hearing, especially from the side of Ruby Frankie, uh, that she said that Jody was the ringleader in this, that she was almost brainwashed, and it sounds very similar. I can't confirm what Adam Steed really happened, but that's what he's saying happened to his wife and his family, and he also laid out a lot of abuse. So it sounds like this may not be the last we're hearing about Jody Hildebrand. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, he seemed to have a lot of very specific data. I mean, I'm telling you, the prosecutor and me would have been saying, who is this guy? He's speaking about names. He's speaking about places that he was at. He's speaking at meetings where people were covering things up. He's speaking how Hildebrandt was used to falsely accuse fathers and other individuals of maybe even worse things. I, I, I just don't understand. And maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, have you ever heard of this guy before? Uh, or, or, or in your opinion, is this not something at least law enforcement should pull the thread on to see if there's any legitimacy to it because you know what I'm thinking Sierra when I'm listening to this is she did a lot of things that that the mom Ruby is saying she was forced to do or manipulated to do if this guy Steele is saying something that this has been going on for over 13 years there could be a lot of wounded children and families that need to be recorrected if in fact it's accurate how could this not be looked into 
So what we do know is that he has been very outspoken. I mean, you heard from him there 13 to 15 years of this. He has been sounding the alarm, even called himself a self-proclaimed whistleblower in this case. But he's not the first person that we've heard about in this situation. I mean, we know from Jody saying that she was a therapist. She worked with multiple different couples. And this is something we've reported here on Law and Crime Network. It was something we heard straight from Kevin Frankie's attorney, Randy Kester. He talked to us about this a lot, that this is something that Jody did. She would place a lot of blame on the husband in the situation. And that is what they said led to the separation between Ruby and Kevin. Well, I got to tell you what, Sierra, we got we got people here at the Law and Crime Network. We got things coming in on the computer. We got you out there. We got producers working this case. We got stuff all over. And so I just got something that I want to read to you at the continued encouragement of Miss Hildebrand. Ruby systematically pushed those around her away, first myself, and then our sisters, parents, and close friends, and then her husband, and finally her own children. Ruby was clearly, has clearly been brainwashed. She has been taken advantage of by Ms. Hildebrand. Now, in the absence of Ms. Hildebrand, I see Ruby striving to restore those relationships. Ruby Francis's brother. Ruby Frankie is my older sister by a year and a half. Growing up, we did a lot together and had a lot of shared experiences throughout her life. Ruby has always been an achiever and becomes recognized by authority figures. Her school teachers regularly commend her as she consistently earned high grades. She was praised by her piano teacher as she excelled in her piano performance as well as competition. We worked at a call center together where she received numerous employee recognitions. Ruby always jumps in with both feet, whether swimming, practicing, in the high school marching band or as a school jazz band pianist. So um, that is definitely something that is of importance. Anyway, we have Ruby Frank's parents. Ruby Frank's parents. We are Ruby Frank's parents. We are currently serving a full-time mission in Serbia. Before Ruby became involved with Jody Hildebrand, she was a wonderful mother, daughter, sister, and member of the church. All she ever wanted from the time she was a little girl was a family to love and nurture. When she began having troubles with her teenage son, Chad, she sought out a family therapist counselor for help. We noticed a shift in Ruby's thinking the summer of 2020, and by the fall, she cut all ties with us, her siblings, and close friends. For three years, what brief communications we had with her, she accused us of either things that never happened or she were grossly exaggerated the events that did. She was delusional. She was so deeply brainwashed, we could not recognize her. As her mother and father, we plead with you to show her much mercy as you possibly can. I mean, this is extraordinary. Lauren, what are your, your thoughts about all this? And, and add to it from a criminal defense attorney, I think that uh, she has set herself up, Ruby, for a much quicker parole from prison, especially, you can be assured, Exhibit A is going to be the prosecutor's uh, press conference that he gave after the sentencing. Thoughts? 
you know, one thing that I find interesting is that uh, everyone seems to be in agreement, even Adam Paul Steed there, that uh, Jody Hildebrandt is more responsible than Ruby Frankie. That might not be the words that they're using. Those are my words. But it seems to be a sort of theme that I've seen. And uh, we're also seeing it, I think, in real time, uh, her uh, remorse versus Ruby's alleged remorse. And, uh, you know... It's going to be really interesting, and I think that what we saw there in court is going to absolutely play out when it comes to their sentencing, and I wouldn't be surprised mm -hmm, yeah. if we now see a very big difference in how they are sentenced. Okay, now, Lauren, I'm, I'm told by our great producers here that you have had a previous uh, uh, opportunity to interview Adam Steed, um, and again, I, I, I know nothing about it. I saw a guy kind of come onto set, grab a microphone, uh, very animated, very fact-oriented, and my first thing in my uh, poisoned old mind is I get older, but I think maybe wiser is that either this is a nut with an axe to grind for a reason or this is a person who is so pent up with anger that no one has done anything for all these years and finally now Hildebrandt is facing the music and he's coming back to say do you see I've been telling you this all along and things need to be reopened what are your thoughts you've interviewed him yeah let me clarify who he is with a few you few facts about him. Adam Paul Steed is absolutely a former patient of Jody Hildebrandt. And he is the reason that Jody Hildebrandt's license was suspended years ago, not removed because she got her license back and it was then she was back in play as a licensed therapist. But there was a time in Jody Hildebrandt's history, and you can go see that on Utah licensures uh, for yeah, therapists, that yeah, her yeah. license was suspended. And it was Adam Paul Steed and his father who worked because they were able to show that Jody Hildebrandt used Adam and told his religious leaders about things that he said in confidence, told the BYU honor code, and thus uh, he was, according to him, kicked out of BYU. And I have seen documents. And he is the reason that her license, therapy license, was suspended for a time. So he that is who Adam Paul Steed is. He did jump on there and didn't really explain exactly who he was, but he absolutely is somebody who states that his family was was ruined by Jody and that he was called an abuser. And he's also stated, Adam Paul Steed has stated, that Jody separated him from his wife. And, and so if, if that's true, then we are seeing a pattern here. But he is why her license was suspended. So he is an important player in this case when it comes to Jody Hildebrand. So Lauren, let, let's let's pick up a little bit on these points. Now, I, I'm going to use my own uh, experience as a government official. Um, I know a lot of times that th this guy, he has gone out there, this person that you've interviewed. Uh, so let me back up. I, I, we're talking about Adam Steed here. Is there anything in his background and I'm looking at this as like a lawyer, uh, that they would have to be concerned about with his credibility. False statements in the past, previous convictions, mental health history, drug and addiction. These are all the things, if we're evaluating a witness's testimony, we want to know ahead of time. Anything like that, as I, as a hypothetical prosecutor, am looking at the statements he just made today? Correct. That's a great question. No. Hmm. So... He was abused as a Boy Scout, and he was a whistleblower, according to uh, the media, 
and a and a breaking story in Idaho. You can go back and you can see all of the articles back in the day that he was a whistleblower to abuse going on in Boy Scouts of America in Idaho. And he was an abuse victim. And that went to court. And you can see that. After that, he then became a patient of Jody Hildebrandt to then save his marriage completely separate from that. So if that helps to give a background, yeah. he has not. That is his background. Okay, so we have that as a background, and I assume the case that he had filed for the sexual abuse um, at the hand of the Boy Scouts, I believe you said, and it went to court. Uh, there were no credibility uh, negative things about him. In fact, he, he probably prevailed on his case. Is that fair to say? Fair to say. Okay. So we have a person who has a, a, a previous very, very difficult emotional and traumatic situation, winds up now with Hildebrand, who's going to be a person who is going to be, you know, counseling him in some way, shape, or form, who ultimately he is involved in getting her license suspended. She gets it back. But on what basis was he able to accomplish that? Because we have a credible witness who is a whistleblower who won a suit. So again, as a prosecutor, so I'm seeing it. Okay. He's a credible right. informant. Okay. That's how I'd see it. Uh, he went through a court system. There wasn't an attack on his credibility or no previous convictions. He was a valid witness, won the case. Now he's coming up and talking about this woman. What was it? What happened that led to her suspension? Great question. So he went, when he started seeing Jody Hildebrandt, he went from being a victim of uh, abusers himself to then being the abuser. According to Jody Hildebrandt, he started telling him, and according to Adam, his wife, that he was an abuser. But there is no, I've looked at documents, I have not seen anything to prove that is the case. I have seen nothing. Then Jody Hildebrandt, so he was a student, Adam Pulsey was a student at Brigham Young University. They have an honor code there because it is a religious private university. Jody Hildebrandt then informed his religious religious leaders and as well as the BYU honor code office of things that Adam says are just simply not true. And I have seen documents and, and I personally believe Adam when it comes to this. So then because of that breach of confidence, they were able to suspend Jody's license for a time therapy license. And this is important, too. But, uh, Jody Hildebrandt was part of LDS Family Services, a therapist for LDS Family Services. But after Adam Paul Steed uh, got her license suspended, she no longer was part of LDS Family Services. So, so it was a big, major moment when it came to Jody Hildebrandt's career what adam Palsty did and that is who he is yeah and what i'm hearing too from all of that is that there's a lot of very powerful people uh that have some answering to do it would seem to me about everything that went on here Hello, Hidden Gems. It's Lauren with Hidden, a true crime podcast. Hit the subscribe button for surprise lives and breaking news. And for exclusive content, things Dr. John and I only dare say behind a paywall, become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash hidden true crime. You'll find bonus episodes, early releases, and insider info. Thank you for your endless support.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co. 